0: Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. This is part two of a two-part podcast. I'm Bill Swallow. In this episode, Dipo Ajose Coker and I continue our discussion about the top challenges of moving from unstructured to structured content. So we talked about a lot of different challenges and i don't want this to be some kind of a scary episode for people so let's talk about some some tips you might have for people as they do approach this move from unstructured content to structured content yeah now i would always say the first thing is start
1: small and then scale up you need to take one example of each type of manual so i Used to work with, we had user manual, pre installation manual, service manuals, maintenance manuals, and so on. Some of them are similar in that they've got similar type of content. We're just removing parts of it, but some are really radically different. So we took one user manual and one service manual and one pre installation manual, three major types of content. And then you convert that, test it to breaking point, and then by the back and forth that you're doing in making that the the conversion matrix so fine tuning that conversion matrix you're more confident that when you then throw the rest of the manuals in there you'll have a lot less cleanup I'm never going to say that you're going to have zero cleanup you will always have cleanup but you will have a lot less to do in cleanup in manually going to look for those areas where the conversion didn't work I mentioned it before, invest in training. It's very important that your team knows, first of all, not just the tool, but also the concepts behind the tool. The concept of structured content creation, leaving ownership and all of those sort of things that we've referred to earlier on. You've got to invest in that kind of training. And it's not just a one off. You want to keep it going. Let them attend conferences or webinars and things like that, because those are all instructive and those are all. Things that will give good practice and share that in between. Maybe have a train-the-trainer type of program where there's one person who is your champion within the company and who does all the conferences and does all that and then comes back and resumes and trains the rest of the staff. Your migration must be detailed in the planning. You basically, step one, we're going to do this. Step two, we're going to do this. I create phases of those because... You might have to repeat a whole phase again at a different point in time. The phases, for example, verification of the content, you know, was what I put in, what came out? When I compare my Word document and I compare the XML of it, does it match? Mm-hmm. And then you'll do a few things and then you'll publish, but you've got to verify again because some of those mechanisms, like I said, pushing content at publication, picking the wrong key, using the wrong data vowel would create different content. So again, you've got to do that verification again. So you've got two verification phases in, in that case.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's actually a really good point because we also see that even when you have a smooth migration of one particular content set, once you move on to a different manual there might be something unique about that one that suddenly yes. everything goes sideways when you try migrating it and you don't have a home or you don't have a structure planned for a certain piece of content that you probably didn't realize existed
1: mhm i'd say also you've got to be flexible you know there's no matter how much planning you put into place the plan is always 100% correct until you start executing it And it's at that point that you've got to be flexible and be able to say, okay, well, things did not turn out right. Let's adapt to that. And by the end of that phase, we'll be able to take a look back and say that, okay, well, this went wrong at this point. Can we fine tune it? Or is it something that we should just anticipate that it will always go wrong? If you know that it's always going to go wrong, You're better able to plan for that. And, like, you know, you know that you just need to add that step to the phase, to the next phase, in that check that this was, you know, (laughs) as expected. (laughs) Look at the long term benefits. And so, that translation example, in that, you know, that first boom, bang, you know, we already paid for the translation six years ago. Why do we have to pay for it again? The long term benefit is that. Six years ago, you paid 100 grand for your translation, say. And then every year you were paying 20 grand because of every update. So that's, you know, six years of 20 grand, 120 plus your 100 initial cost. Then you switched over to debtor where they've promised you your translation is only going to cost you 10 grand a year from now on. Yeah. Well, that first hit is going to still be maybe that, not 100 grand, but let's say 80 people balk at that and say, well, you said it's going to be 10. No, because for the next six years, you're only going to be paying 10. And so in the long term, it is eventually costing you less. And apply that to whatever part of it, of the scenario uh, you want. You find that, you know, long term, it's best. Long term, if you look at what's happening today, and I will only mention this once, chat GPT and training uh, uh, large language models and that. Well, Training large language models on structured content has proved more efficient than just like, you know, hoovering up content that does not have a semantic meaning to it attached like, you know, through the metadata, you know, attributes that you add on to that saying this is author information or this is for product X version Y, but there's a version X as well available. All of that, if you look at it in the long term, those companies that have already moved to data are going to be better able to start quickly sw- switching their content, repurposing it, feeding it to their large language models, using it to train their chatbots. Their chatbots are better able to pick up micro content. If you look at Google today, you search for something and you get this little panel and like, you know, that YouTube video that tells you which section of the video answers your question, that's micro content. And having structured content, because you've got smaller granular pieces of information, enables you to provide that sort of granularity of answer. So better, you know, your users are going to be happier in the long term. You need to, let's say, plan for compliance. We've already mentioned that. Look at how you're going to manage your terminology, because that's another aspect. How are you going to, first of all, tag it? Making that decision is your information architect. Which element are you going to use? UI control? Or are people still going to be using bold italics, you know, around that? And how are you going to enforce that? People don't use that non-standard use of the, the correct elements. Localization is another area that you need to, like, you know, first of all, warn all your stakeholders. If there's people that are going to be paid for it, explain. Give this example that I just gave, you know, that in the long term, your translations will end up costing less. The turnaround time will be faster and so on. And, you know, those issues that we used to have in that, well, there was an update while it was out for translation. And then we had to pick up the PDF and highlight all those points that changed in between those two trans. That used to be such a headache for us.
0: <laughs> those if were the you've worst. you've got a
1: CCM, no, they totally. Uh, your CCMS is able to do that for you in that it'll send only the changed content, and it can lock out content. It can lock out things that you don't want translated. There's nothing worse than sending your translations out and you know that all your UI variables have been pre-translated as string files. And what you're doing is just importing those and that then puts the correct term inside of those tags. Well, if you send it off and then your translators then decide, well, well, no, I think that's a better translation for that UI label that is inside, you just cause a whole load of trouble that's going to come up and catch you later. And, <laughs> you know, we we, I'm speaking from experience again, you know, things that will get changed during a translation, your system can lock those things out. Another top tip is to invest in a quality translation service provider, you know? Having a a translation service provider that understands structured content is better than one who is just used to doing word translations all the time. Mm -hmm. They're better able to understand the concept of, well, this topic is reused. And so when I'm creating my translation, I must also translate with reuse in mind. Looking at, you know, not breaking tags in content, you know, not moving things around in the content. All of that sort of training needs to be present as well on your translation service side. And you've got to leverage your technology for efficiency. Major tip there is create workflows, create templates. Templates will help your authors know that, well, for this topic type, these are the sorts of information types that I need to put into it. Yeah, this particular topic needs a short description. And this one doesn't. So by picking the right template, they're guided and they can concentrate. They can focus on creating their content. Workflows. Oh, God. Workflows. That's another big one in that review and approval workflows. What has been reviewed? What has been approved? And if you've got content that's already been approved and then somebody goes and makes a change to that already approved content where it was not due for a change, that will cause problems doing your audit because Mm -hmm. remember you said you could prove to them that this topic was at version x and we didn't touch any other topics well if you sent everything off and then an sme made a change to one of the topics because they saw a mistake in there well that's not a good enough reason when it comes to audit that i saw a mistake so i made that no you need to follow engineering change management processes which say that for every single change, I'm talking in regulated industries, for every single change, I must have a reason for change. and I saw a typo in the con in the in the text, and I just decided to change it. It's not a good enough reason. If you saw that, then you must create a defect and add that to the change log that you're submitting to say that we change these. oh, and by the way, We were trying to fix this error, but as we were going through, we saw that somebody did not put any full stops in all the sentences in this topic. And so we decided to raise that as an improvement opportunity and we added to the docket. And so we have a reason why those other topics which were initially analyzed as, you know, those are the ones we need to change. What are these other topics that got changed? Well, we also created a ticket for that. and put them in there. So leveraging workflows will allow you to force things to go to also to the right person. You know, how many times have you forgotten to send it through to legal? Yeah. Using the final approval workflow, make sure that, okay, well the initial engineers are excluded from that because they've already done their review workflow, but we're sending it for that final boss level approval and legal can finally sign off on it. Those sort of things like, you know, parts of what your tool can do your tools can to also help you find out what went on where you know so by being able to roll back you know oh, well we made this change we thought it was an improvement but eventually it was just a stop gap we've made a better one so let's roll back to before and then create that new one that documents this well your tool set your ccms is able to do that for you rather than Having, we used to have to do this um, again, talking from experience, going into the archive database, looking for one that was round about the date of the change that we made, picking that one out, unzipping it, and then start do a whole load of trouble. I remember Use doing that quite a bit technology
0: uh, yeah, <laughs> I remember doing that quite a bit, especially when we'd have someone from legal running down to the engineering floor and saying hey we we need to find x version from x date." and see if it Mm. contains this particular sentence. Yeah. yeah. And that was always fun.
1: Oh, yeah. Totally. And then (laughs) needing to
0: roll back and then reissue all the other, you know, following versions with the correct change. That was always a nightmare.
1: And I, I can remember there was one particular incident where someone, again, had gone off on holiday, again, ownership of documents and so on, And so uh, this change had to be made. There was like, you know, a stop shipment, which means like, you know, there was a defect found and the regulatory body said, you're not allowed to sell anymore until you fix this and you make sure that it's all done. So panic stations, everyone like, you know, and this person's on holiday. So we go into the archives, look through, find the right, what we thought was the right one, only that person had not checked in the real last version. And so the corrections were made to the last but one version. And then when you published it, some of the information that was supposed to be in, in there was not in there. But we were looking for that specific phrase. We found it. We thought, yeah, everything's good. Only by the time it goes out and gets off to the regulatory body, then I say, well, what happened to all these other changes then? And so investigation goes on and then you gotta find out why. And those are all like, you know, parts of the reason that pushed this organization to say, look, we need something that handles this a little bit better. We had a stopgap interim period where um, I introduced uh, an SVN system, but that was like, you know, on a local computer and we were able to like, you know, recreate repositories on everyone's, uh, but that relied a lot on discipline as well, you know, people checking in stuff. And you could always break locks. And, you know, and I spent so much time fiddling with the SVN system at every update. And so it was just a lot too much. And, like, you know, the CCMS was able to resolve, let's say, 80% of all those kinds of issues. I'll never say that a tool will resolve 100%, but it does help quite a lot.
0: Yeah, having had some svn or, or git collisions in the past that we've had to mm. unwind you know branches upon branches upon yeah having a system that can at least manage some level of that automatically is a godsend totally <laughs> well Depot, thank you very much i think this will pretty much wrap the episode but thank you very much for joining us oh thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.